You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Yeah, I feel like the uh, nowadays the stage banter art is lost a bit. Now it's your ball bag. Yeah, if, if you have, if you're not watching this, if you're not watching this episode, the, you, you, <laughs> tune in for cat anus and balls. It's gonna, gonna get, gonna get demonetized. <laughs> did you ever watch Prices Right? Please have your uh, listen to Bob Barker. What the fuck, dude? You're you, you're from that generation. Oh yeah, you, you, certainly. You don't want to get your your pet spayed or neutered. So he he has been uh, been sp- neutered? neutered, neutered, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, they didn't take him; they left him. So wait, so I guess they them. just they just went in and snipped like they do on us guys now. <laughs> really? Yeah. So he's still got the decorations. <laughs> <laughs> All the accoutrements. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza. I'm here with my fellow co-host, as always, Siobhan Cronin. Hey, everyone. And Benny Goodman. I thought we were trying to brand the word cohort. Like we were taking the word from the English language. He's rebelling. And yeah. using it in our, and wielding it in our own vernacular. I got sick of it already. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not enough people have listened to this enough to be annoyed by it. Don't you realize you have to be sick of it six times Yeah, but I'm selfish and I've, I've heard it far too many times. So I'm sick of it. Fine. The cohorts. Ben. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so much enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Anyways, th- thank you for tuning into this episode. Uh, this no, week, thank you for tuning in, Corey. This week, <laughs> we got a special guest. Uh, you might notice at the bottom of the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, you've seen on every episode this thing that says sponsored by Lost Symphony. But not subscribe. But you not should subscribe. Because we've never said we're terrible. We literally fail every marketing class. We don't even listen to the people that talk to us, like Andrew Vivaldi and Jason Leckberg, that like totally tell us exactly what to do. And then we're just like, fuck it. We won't even ask them. We won't even ask for the sale. Subscribe. Like, like it, subscribe, literally press the button. If you want to know what who's up next or like what, just subscribe. Are you done? Can you edit Anyways. that down so it's way better than that? <laughs> How about we get to introducing our guest right. that Corey was so going to do? As I was saying, you've seen the Lost Symphony <laughs> at the bottom of the page. If you have not checked out Lost Symphony, please get on that as well. Um, but if you have checked out Lost Symphony, then you've heard our guest this week, who is Paul Lorenzo, the drummer of Lost Symphony. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Thanks did for I say, having me. Did I say your name right, by the way? Yes, Lorenzo. Good. So so this is something we should probably get into. Uh, I believe Ben's been saying your name incorrectly for about a decade and telling everyone else the incorrect way to say your name. <laughs> Hold on. Do you know what that, there's a reason for that. 
Of course, there's, there's always a reason. What's well, the reason, Ben? I take a lot of influence from Kurt Cobain. And um, when Kurt would sign his name, he'd sometimes sign it K-U-R-T, sometimes K-U-R-D-T, sometimes the C. Um, he'd put a smiley face. And even inside the record, like he would sp- spell his name incorrectly or in different permutations throughout. So I just thought, like, whatever. Like Lorenzo <laughs> Lamas, Lorenzo, like Lorenzo. I've, I've done every, like, Lorenzo Conexento, like, whatever. Yeah, but there's a difference because he changed the spelling. You're changing the pronunciation. Yeah, that's why I'm taking where he left off before he blew his head off and then fucking taking it somewhere else. Yeah, probably not the best role model. But anyways, Paul, thank you for being here. Well, thank you. Thank so, you for not mispronouncing my name. Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. But uh, so this is always it's always exciting. We've only done this once before with another member of uh, the band, which was uh, Kelly. So this is another instance where we actually have a majority of Lost Symphony on one call, which has happened like maybe two, three times tops. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and kind of new for me too, because this is actually my first time sort of meeting you and like right. virtually, right? I yeah. mean, we, we're in this giant collective of a, of a music group and yet some of us have not actually been in the same room Because together. Paul's so antisocial that you have to meet him through a Zoom that even though you've flown from Miami and from Ohio to Boston like 16 times and I've begged him, he's like, oh yeah, I'll do it. Like he sat on his couch with his cat, like literally like watching wrestling instead of coming and hanging out with us. Is that true, Paul? Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it is a pandemic after all. Right. But even though I'm saying before <laughs> well, that, I'm talking have, way before that. We've been working on this record for like the better half of a, a decade at this point. So Right. Yeah. yeah. There's been other fair pandemics enough. since this pandemic, dude. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, so Paul is the drummer for Lost Symphony, plays on most of the tracks. We've had uh, a couple st- stand-ins, but uh and You're going to call Jason Costa and David Abraziz a stand-in? Uh wh- Well, what we w- are the band. Wh- They're What guests. would you call them? I'd Feet. Call them, I, I Yeah. <laughs> yeah, F- Paul, thanks F- for stepping F- it up. F E A T period. <laughs> <laughs> if one thing so one thing that bonds Paul and I together is everything's a pun. It's a pun off or it's a reference to something. So like, well, we were referencing Prince earlier and it was just how many times could we reference like lyrics from the same song before we totally annoy everybody around us. That's how like that's how we bond is through puns. This is good. And I'm, dancing, I'm annoyed already. So this will be great. <laughs> oh my gosh. It worked. How funny is Paul? I have a question for you. How funny is Danzig? No, Danzig's pretty fucking funny. But why? Uh, I don't know. Memes. <laughs> it's good you tell me why why kitty litter is that why why is that oh, wait before benny already curved stomps this whole conversation i have to say for anyone not watching tune into the youtube cast because you have your glorious pet like making little cameo appearances in the corner of your screen <laughs> can you make an introduction for me sure sure because i've only seen this over instagram and i'm like come on i'm completely enamored by the they beauty of this see. creature they want to meet you <laughs> this is blizzard oh my god for everyone who's, who can't see first off tune into the youtube but it, he's a sphinx cat which if you if you don't know what it is it's basically like a giant ball bag walking around with <laughs> it's accurate he seems very lovable too like when we first started it was like all up cuddling like most cats with me they're just like get away oh yeah but no, this he's... Isn't, i guess it's not technically a cat correct this is well, like no, a different he's... breed oh no, he's still a 
He's still a feline. Yeah. <laughs> He's like from the island of Dr. Moreau. But some, some cats are definitely more uh, attached to their owners than others, like Siamese and, and uh, Sphinxes and some of the more uh, strange breeds there are a little yeah. bit more yeah, uh, attached, cats it seems. is weird. I've always oh, yeah. been a dog person, so you're really selling me on this. I feel it would, it would be like badass for me to have a Sphinx, but I don't want to steal your thunder there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you That's adopted right. the cat. You adopted the cat because sphinxes are like bred and they're kind of like a mean thing because people that like, sorry, Siobhan, but people that get like, you know, purebred animals, this is just a personal opinion. And Harvey Levin has told me over 10,000 episodes of People's Court, <laughs> like animals that get adopted, like will love you more. And like all, the reason the bulldog, for example, like can't breathe and like dies in like six years and all it's because it's like genetically deformed from being inbred and created sure. to what people want it to be. And a Sphinx cat is a perfect example of that. They're like, hey, we can't make a dinosaur yet, but we can make a cat that looks like a ball bag that loves you endlessly that you have to clean in between its crevices and it does all kinds of weird shit cats don't <laughs> normally do. Um, but Paul only got the cat because one of his good friends save the cat from being bred in captivity. So Paul was the savior. And because, you know, Aww. Paul is, it, it's too nice to go out because he didn't want to lose an animal because you have to say goodbye to an animal. He never wanted to go be the one. So people actually had to give him the cat to shelter. And he <laughs> gave it shelter like the Rolling Stones song. Cue, yep. the, oh cue the music. Amazing. <laughs> so, so Paul, so just so everyone can get an idea for who you are and some of your background, maybe you can tell your story about how you get into drums, how you met Benny, just like how you came to know this group of people. Uh, well, boy, I've, I've been playing drums, God, since I was like 10, 12, something like that. Uh, my dad was a musician, so there was always drums and guitars around the house. So I just kind of picked them up and started playing from as far back as I can remember. And it was about 10 or 12 when I finally like actually tried to focus and learn and figure it out. And uh, just been in bands ever since. And uh, I met Ben on uh, MySpace of all things. Ah, was it my, okay. I thought it was Craigslist, dude. No, no, it was MySpace. Wait a minute. It's, well, maybe it was Craigslist. No, and no, then, we met and on then Craigslist. We, but then no, no, we met on Craigslist, dude. But it was, I, but it was MySpace time. So, well, no, we, okay. So we did exactly what people did at the time, which they now do with Facebook. We, we met on Craigslist, but then before we actually exchanged information, we vetted one another on MySpace. Right, right. <laughs> so I think you sent me your MySpace link with your terrible music attached to it yep. and my terrible music attached to it. And we're yep. like, oh, you're in a <laughs> shitty band. I want to be in a shitty band. And we were in a shitty band together. Yep. <laughs> and then we were in several shitty bands together. <laughs> <laughs> to this and day. Then, and then <laughs> finally, finally we, we convinced you, some people with talent to join us and uh, Lost Symphony happened. <laughs> but do you remember your answering machine when I first met you? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it was the, you, the, the screaming the answering metal, machine? Uh, no, I, I, I don't dare to recreate that at this point. That was when I still had a lust for life and, you know, a little bit of excitement left in me. <laughs> yeah. No, when I first called Paul, I was like, like, you know, like, I'm like, this guy can't have a normal job. Like, what? Who the fuck was, is this guy? It was and a little bit more David Lee Roth and a little bit less Jeff Tate, but, but close. <laughs> I was going more for the Paul Stanley, but oh, there you go. Banter. Okay. In okay. the banter. Oh, fair the, enough. I love you, Paul. <laughs> Paul, you've been great. It was actually quite, quite uh, close to the Paul Stanley, who is, in my estimation, the finest stage banter of all time. 
Well, Nobody compares your, to Paul Stanley. What's some of your favorite lines from Paul Stanley? Uh, oh, come on. You're trying to get me to do the imitation. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> God, do it, man. <laughs> come on. Get some, some of your favorite Paul Stanley lines, man. So, so you know how much Paul loves Paul Stanley. He had like a 48-minute mashup of just Paul Stanley banter. <laughs> and listened to the whole thing and loved every moment of it. So you can absolutely give me your favorite lines. <laughs> Fuck you, Corey. Edit this down so it's tight. <laughs> I said, honey, that ain't no pistol. That's my love gun. <laughs> Wait, Paul, give us another. No, that's what we're going to do. Lines with Paul through Paul Stanley. Paul's Paul Stanley impression. Do it again. Give me another how, line. How many people out there like some alcohol? <laughs> Call number Jim. Oh, man, I hope we tour someday and we just give you a mic. Maybe. Hold on. Wait, give me another one. <laughs> Eric Carr on the drums. <laughs> Wait, you got you got to have at least one more. Uh, okay, what's uh? Let's see, um, there's so many good ones. Ah, uh, there is. Why can't I think of any? Oh, I said, uh, I said the party's in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, that was that was my favorite one at the time. Actually, was the party's in my pants. <laughs> you gotta think that at the time. Paul Stanley was in front of 20,000 people and they yep. were introduced as the best band in the land. So like the fact that he's coming on talking, it, it, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> How's your ball bag? Yeah, I feel like the uh, nowadays the stage banter art is lost a bit. Now <laughs> <laughs> just, just it's your ball bag. Yeah. If, if you have, if you're not watching this, if you're not watching this episode, the, you, you, <laughs> tune in for cat anus and balls. It's gonna, gonna get, gonna get demonetized. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever watch Price is Right? Please have your uh, and listen to Bob Barker. What the fuck, dude? You're you, you're from that generation. Oh yeah, you, you, certainly. Don't want to get your your pet spayed or neutered. Sure. Oh, that's right. He did say that. After that's every right. episode. I used to watch that. Did you learn nothing from Price is Right? Very committed to that cause. So he he has been uh, been neutered? neutered? Neutered, right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, they didn't take him. They left him. So wait. So I, I guess they just, they just went in and snipped like they do on us guys now. <laughs> really? Yeah. So he's still got the decorations. <laughs> <laughs> All the accoutrements. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't know how to direct the conversation. I, I feel like it's, it's an exercise in futility on this episode already. I'm, I'm just going to go with it. We got, we, we've had cat balls and anus flashed already. Uh, there's no point. There's no salvaging any sort of uh, actual constructive discussion. But I would like to learn more about uh, ball in general, I guess. Well, so, yeah, let's go back. So you said you mentioned that your parents were musicians or maybe your, your father yeah, um, my dad, my dad, and my stepdad were both musicians. Okay, and they, were, so, they were friends and were in bands together and stuff. Well, so was life. there an, an, an like any encouragement from them for you to pursue music or like the opposite? I'm always curious about people that come from musical families, whether their parents say, "Oh yeah, you should definitely go into music and like follow it," or like, "No, it's a hard life, don't do it." Yeah, no, my my both my dad and my stepdad were very uh, encouraging as far as uh you know me getting into music and stuff i i don't know if they just needed a drummer or what but uh, <laughs> my, i i did play my first gig with both of them in uh in a band with another guy playing bass and we played at the living room in providence so wait oh that, my God. that's in the a, 80s they, that's oh, yeah. the partridge family so wait you're with your dad and your stepdad at your first gig 
Like, what kind of Grateful Dead shit is that in the first place? <laughs> yeah, no, we were a little bit more uh, Judas Priest and less um, yeah. Grateful Dead, but <laughs> but wow, definitely uh, a multi generational band. My my uh, my dad and stepdad were thirty four. Our bass player was twenty four, and I was fourteen. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> they snuck me in. They were like, "Oh no, he's he's 16. Well, it was the living room, so they yeah. were, they're like, "Yeah, whatever." And it was yeah, there's, totally no door, there's no door. There's no door in the bathroom the here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was the living room in the '80s, so it was like anything goes, you know. Well, Everyone it could have been was, nicer then, because when I got there in the '90s and the 2000s, it was like so trash. Like, was it actually oh, was, as bad in the '80s? Oh, that was a different place. Actually. Yeah, they moved it. Yeah, yeah. The original one had a big bubble window on it, so that was like the foyer. Uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> the parlor. Yes. There's another place called the parlor, actually. Great story, cool bro. Cool story, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, so did you did you ever get any formal training as a drummer? I mean, I, violin is a totally different world, so you honestly can't do much without getting at least some lessons. Right. But, you know, a lot of people are self-taught on drums or guitar. So did you did you ever pursue lessons or did you learn from your family? Like, how did you, what were your influences and how did you learn? I'm mostly self-taught. I mean, I I learned a few things from my dad and stepdad just like a drum beat or some guitar chords and stuff but honestly i never really liked practicing the stuff that they showed me so i would just do my own thing and that's why i ended up being more geared towards the drums than the guitar seemed easier for me to just kind of fall into it and hear what was going on i didn't have to like delve too deep into the theory or anything like that so what did you like what were your influences that you wanted to play um well, probably one of the Prince is definitely one of the uh, the first earliest ones. I was 11 when I saw Purple Rain in the movies and I was mm-hmm. like, that's what I want to do. And then I realized I couldn't sing or dance. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, maybe I'll just uh, play drums. How's that? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> did Prince have a girl do that? Um, actually, Prince did that. Prince did everything. Well, that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Prince played everything. I'm- that's what I liked about Prince the most. Well, that's what you're most like now because Paul plays every single instrument and you're actually doing a song a day online, which I got to tell you, I love seeing you do that. Yeah, but good for you. That's awesome. Not only are you a great drummer, but you he's I, we did a cover a while back of the cars um, just when I needed. And I got the on, like, I, I'm friends with Elliot Easton online. He, he probably doesn't know about it, but like <laughs> I know about it. And I sent him the song one time and, and he was like, this is really cool because first off, we played it at the speed that I knew it. So it was a completely different BB. I was like, I like your interpretation. I'm like, what, my memory? And then um, he was like, the guitar solo is great. Meanwhile, Paul played the guitar solo. So Elliot Easton from the Cars is actually like, he thinks he's complimenting my guitar playing and he's like complimenting the drummer, which is just so insulting. And so it's like, he could have been the bass player, but nah, he's the drummer. Nope. Well, <laughs> speaking of I, the fact that you do play all the instruments, um, like, uh, how do you think that affects your uh, your writing when you're when you're playing drums? Because you're a very, uh, I think, observant drummer. From from what I know, is for everything we've done, you know, you're very cognizant of everything else going on compared to a lot of drummers who are cognizant yeah. <laughs> of how loud they can smash the shit out yeah. of their snare drum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, how does that work in your mind? Yeah, I think it's definitely helped me kind of lock in with the different instruments and find my spot, and you know play for the song or the, the piece of music, you know, rather than just trying to show off my own thing or, you know, do my own interpretation of the song. It's more about like serving the parts and right. finding my spots and 
and and with with lost symphony that becomes increasingly more difficult because to find a spot to (laughs) in there (laughs) is a friggin nightmare (laughs) yeah yes yeah lost symphony is totally such a different animal too as far as the way i i approach it as opposed to like my original bands and stuff where we are used to rehearsing a song for six months before Blood we Line ever. Theory representing, yeah. oh, nice. so everyone knows. Oh, not nice. only is Paul an amazing drummer that plays in a gazillion bands, <laughs> including Bloodline Theory, who's an incredible band. Um, he does all the artwork, which yeah. uh, so it's mm-hmm. weird because he does the artwork for 2020 to so this program, but he doesn't do the artwork for Lost Symphony, but he does the artwork for a ton of bands, and he has such a unique style. So I decided today to like. So go give, back. I want to. I want to hear. I want to hear more about the your approach to Lost Symphony. There is when you're when you're writing. Very oh, unique. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, basically, I kind of come in and improv over it for the most part. Um, I I've listened to it a few times, but. I don't really work out the parts ahead of time. It's kind of, I go in and we break it down and go section by section and just kind of like figure out what works. And Ben coaches me along as to, you know, what might be a good idea. When to you do say, in this when you say coaching, point. do you mean he well, hits the button and yells a, a, <laughs> yeah. a, an arbitrary beat that might be somewhat in time? And yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basically he, he berates me and, you know, tells me that, you know, that I'm an idiot and that I should just, you know, just do it. And, you know, he, kn- he knows I'm the greatest, but I just need to wake the fuck up and, you know, come in and play the awesomest thing I've ever played in my life. It That's works. basically what I get it out works. of it too. Hold on. It's like, do it again. Can I, I, can, mean, I def- can I defend that though? Cause let me tell you something about the approach that Paul does and why I think Paul is such a great drummer because we've worked with a lot of guys who are very rudimented um, like a guy like Jason Costa is a fucking technician, even though he he plays it off like he's cash. He's not. He fucking plays like a good like 175 million beats per minute and yeah. like does crazy, ridiculous stuff and plays, um, you know, traditional grip. Like Paul won't pretend that he does that kind of stuff. But what I love about Paul, <laughs> which is the honestly the most important thing to me in a drummer. And I feel like David Abraziz is kind of like my soul brother in this sense too. But like Paul and I have played together so, so much that we almost have like, even though I'm bickering at him, he knows what I'm saying to him because we've worked together for so long. So with lost symphony, he knows my brother and I come up with crazy shit that he's going to be like, this is obnoxious. Why do I have to count this? And he's already mad. So let me tell you something about Paul. I think that's a good start. He plays better when he's mad. First off. Secondly, we have all the drums already set up. So he walks in, all the mics are set up, all the sounds are there. So all he needs to do is play. So there's no setup, there's nothing. He just goes. So we play the song and he'll listen to it a few times. And in 20 minutes, he'll nail a whole section. And I'll be like, dude, play it. It's crazy. You can't. You suck. Just do it again. Why does it suck? We, you got to get to work in 10 minutes. Dude, if we don't do it now, why do we waste our life? And we do that. And in 20 minutes, he'll get a part that someone won't get in an entire day of recording. And that's why I get mad at him when he's like, dude, let's just, dude, I got to be at work. I'm like, we are one takeaway from Corey not saying, let's do this again. So like, that's why I get mad because Paul can come down, hear something for the first time dissect it minute by minute and just say okay and he'll play that as its own separate piece and we'll come up together and i'll yeah i'll yell at him i'll be like dude play a reverse (laughs) billy jean beat and he'll understand what that fucking means i don't know what it means but he gets it and he plays it and he does it right and i'll be like okay do this mike portnoy thing with your feet but i want you to do a call 
Carl Palmer thing with your hands, and you'll be like, sure. And you know, I know he doesn't know what I mean, but he does something that it's like, you know, a button that does nothing, but it makes you happy. Like he does that. And that's what you hear on Lost Symphony is everyone goes, This is great drumming. Like I can't even believe. He did not think about it for more than 20 minutes. So when I say, man, this could be the, tw- the the take of your life, he's thinking about, do I have time to go to Dunkin' Donuts? And some fucking assholes listening to the record going, this is the best drumming I've ever heard. And it's just Paul waking up and drinking his Dunkin' fucking donuts. And that's insane. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it, That was a pretty epic setup. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jeez. It, it, I, I, I wish that people could kind of see the whole process of, of all the recording that, that went into this record. We have like little bits and pieces that we that we post, but it's considering the, the timeline that we're on uh, and how much time we've spent in the studio and, and how much, you know, actually gets seen by the public, people would be uh, appalled. Yeah, the <laughs> level of chaos. Yeah, it's insane. It's really crazy. Like it's funny at the by the by the time it gets you know pressed onto the vinyl and the artwork's on there and it's it's released. It's like wow, this is a nice professional product that's here. But really, the chaos behind that is oh, is yeah. maddening. That people, if people had any idea. Oh yeah. So when you sit down to play a Lost Symphony song or you hear it, like what what are some of the thoughts that you go through in your mind in composing a part? Like what are some of the things you listen for? Like. What are some things you fall back on? Like, where do you get your ideas from? Honestly, it's it's a lot of just kind of like, it just comes out. I don't really think about it too much, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. No, but. it's amazing. You're like, a, I, I swear to God, he's like an outlet to something else. He is like a conduit. So where he says he's not thinking about it, he comes in and his feel. Because like one of the things that's, that, in my opinion, is great about Corey as a guy that edits and produces and mixes and a guy like Paul is it still sounds natural. Paul hates quantization. Paul hates not doing it in takes. So we do really <laughs> perfect takes. It may only be of 34 seconds, but we do perfect takes and Corey will edit it, but there is breath, but it's so hard to have breath with a hundred tracks, 120 tracks, but somehow with what Paul does and with what Corey does together, and then me yelling at, at everybody, taking credit for everything along the way, it ended up working and sounding pretty fucking rad. No, totally. I give you all the credit in the world, Corey. I can't even imagine mixing <laughs> like that many things and trying to get it to all come through in the final mix. I find that, that, drinking a lot helps but no helps, I, helps I, with ben too yeah exactly <laughs> no i, I put it on my what, gums what you're saying about it you know not thinking about it, i think that's just because it becomes instinctual after so many years of playing with with you know how many bands have you been in i have 40 or 50 yeah so oh more gosh. so yeah, more way more, more. than i thought wow. <laughs> almost 100 aren't you at 100 no no it's 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 only like 45 okay. or 50 that's or a lot of bands i'd be that's surprised if it was more than 50 this is a deep question but this is important so do you okay. remember the album a real live one from iron maiden yeah it sounds familiar do I you remember, remember that the they had a chart album. of all the bands and all the different people from different bands that were together and you'd pull it out and it had all like the, the oh, family no. tree okay no. well there is a huge family tree i feel like you with all the bands that you're in it's literally when did you start playing in bands like what year uh 1987 so if you went on to your like 86? actual wikipedia if it existed <laughs> it would start in 86 yeah yeah it probably would yeah so you're like Prince. You have more unreleased recordings like, like than Van Halen. Yeah. Well, well, unfortunately, everything before 
probably the 2000s didn't have very good recordings like recording was very expensive and my bands would have to spend like a thousand dollars to record like three songs and it would sound horrible so you know unfortunately all that stuff is lost to the ages Uh, (laughs) but no no like old crappy cassettes that that you know you find under the oh yeah car seat oh i I definitely (laughs) i have have bags bags and bags of old crappy cassettes and actually the first musical thing i did was go into the studio when i was i think like 13 or something like that the band i was in the the bass player guy paid for us to go into the recording studio and record two songs and they had like this crappy like electronic simmons drum kit because it was like 1986 so literally this was you know dinosaur technology and i remember that i i was a fucking basher and i used to flip my sticks around to the other side and use the blunt end to play and i fucking bashed the shit out of this poor guy's electronic kit i swear it, it, i mean it wasn't broken but the, the the plastic was all like rippled and shit oh i felt so bad <laughs> Uh, but hey, that's what you get for letting a 13-year-old play your uh, state-of-the-art crappy 80s Simmons drums. So what type of music were you primarily playing? Was it within like one genre? I mean, among all the bands, like what was there a trend or like yeah, mixed was, genre? Yeah, generally I was into metal uh, mm-hmm. until the 90s when, you know. Do you define what metal is? Primus. Because, I, hold on, when you say metal. You know, there's a lot of people thinking Meshuggah and like at the gates. Oh, well, that and didn't exist. That, that was, that okay, was so that. let our listeners and possible viewers of the ball bag that was around you earlier <laughs> know what you mean by metal because it's very different for you than it is for other people. So can can we catch up? So what is metal? So is. Uh, you say you were doing metal, like like what bands, what style? Well, uh, I mean, the first stuff that I listened to was like Motley Crue and Quiet Riot and twisted sister i mean quiet riot was the first metal band to have a number number one hit i i guess but at the time again it wasn't glam that was just metal there was there was no glam glam didn't really happen until well i mean there was glam like so tommy was like tommy lee wasn't wearing fucking lipstick in 1984 um no he was wearing leather and studs and lipstick (laughs) (laughs) that sounds awfully gay to me man in a good way gonna say <laughs> in a great way it's 2021 ben yeah no i'm it's great dude if i could like if, think about how much damage i could do if i walked out in this world looking like tommy lee in 1984 i'd just be so fabulously awesome and i could play drums yeah <laughs> do you yeah, um, some with, with with so just while we're on tommy lee like were there any specific drummers that kind of inspired your style I mean, I loved Lars Ulrich when he first came out. When Metallica, mm. when I first heard Ride the Lightning, I was like blown away. This was like the fastest thing I'd ever oh, yeah, heard in yeah. my life. Fight Fire with Fire. I heard it on like, I think the radio show was called Nasty Habits. It was this old radio show and they would just play like the newest metal. I heard like Anthrax on there for the first time. Uh, AIR from Spreading the Disease, that song blew me away. Another one that was like, just the the speed and the tenacity of it was what really sucked me in Mm. that's why i got so bummed out when metallica slowed down i'm like you know to me metallica is like fast wait what album is that wait wait what 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 album did they know what album that is the black is it really the black album for you (laughs) yes because some people i thought it could have been um and justice for all like you could be so like in your own head that like after after master it's just over for you it depends how hardcore you are i mean i i still say that you know when they made a video is when they jumped the shark (laughs) (laughs) 
Metallica shouldn't be making videos. It's bullshit. <laughs> it's so funny the uh, the threshold that there is for that that um, the meta- the way that Metallica is perceived. Because yeah. I, you know, you started playing eighty six, eighty seven. I was born in eighty seven, and right. so my first Metallica album was the Black Album. You know, right. that when I when I came of age, and I was like. This is fucking cool. I remember hearing, um, <laughs> hearing like uh, Enter Salmon on the radio, like when I was little, little, like when, you know, and I was like, what the hell is like, it was the first time like moving my head back and forth right. instinctually. Yep. <laughs> and so I was like, this is the heaviest thing in the world. And then I've listened to their older records. And I was like, holy shit. Like, this is a different band. Now I see yep. why people hate them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was definitely a, a tough transition. I mean, I, I, I liked, uh and justice for all and i like the black album when it came out but it was just like over time that i just realized and then like what was the album after that was load it load, load yeah. and yeah. reload yeah it was just it went really bad really quick like you know the black album had some good tunes on there and i i liked it at the time but in retrospect it's like eh. and even then justice for all it's like the mix is so bad and <laughs> you know i don't know i can't deal with it i'd rather listen to master of puppets and ride the lightning any day of the week plus cliff burton that's yeah. all I got to say about that. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> there was still some Cliff Burton material left over by Injustice for All, but it was- I, I, I got to tell you the first time I, because everyone has a first time they heard Metallica. The first time I remember like internalizing that Metallica was awesome was I was at like my friend's house and he had like one of those TV descramblers. Remember those where you can watch Spice for free or whatever? You like, <laughs> yeah. you get, like watch the porn. So you didn't have to like see a boob in between like the lines or whatever. Scrambled so yeah, I'm, I, he, my parents weren't too keen on letting me watch Beavis and Butthead. So I'd like watch Beavis and Butthead when I was like at his place. And I remember one came on, the, the video that you talked about. And yeah. I was like, dude. And they got, got to the... And then Beavis and Butthead like... That's exactly how I felt. I was like, okay, okay. And this was just as the Black Album was hitting. And that came out. And then I saw him being chased by Optimus Prime. And I'm like, what the fuck? And he's 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 outrunning Optimus. And I'm like, and I'm hearing this. And I'm like, holy shit. And I remember thinking to myself... Not only is Metallica the coolest, but then turning on MTV, and I think it was Kurt Loder was on MTV, and they were doing a Metallica, uh, maybe it was the live shit binge and purge like con- uh, contest, and Metallica were supposed to play, and Kirk Hammett had an emergency um, uh, ap- appendectomy. Um, so like a, something, like his appendix went fucking south, and he ended up taking it out and giving it in formaldehyde to the guy who won like the he got to go play his school or his house or something so Metallica showed up and played your house on MTV and he hands him his fucking appendix and I'm thinking to myself that was such an allegory for Kirk Hammond's entire career that's a weird move <laughs> isn't that crazy <laughs> but that was like that's so metal dude so, that's so, so metal so the question remains I guess how much would Kirk Hammett's kidney get on appendix eBay? Appendix. How much would Kirk Hammett's appendix? I think it, a, I think his kidney would get a lot more than his appendix. Yeah, you think so? Probably. probably yeah. Probably. Well, because you could use that. It's more useful. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You could exactly. use that. Maybe yeah. not. I mean, I don't know. Nobody, nobody needs. Kind of, nobody needs do an appendix transplant. He's a fruit for one yeah, no, drinking Nobody needs Zima. an appendix so transplant. <laughs> his, his cirrhosis is nowhere near what James Hetfield probably is. So I'm sure you could probably his kidneys maybe fine. He's not in re- full renal failure at this point. Right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, so what, let me ask you this. What was it about metal in general that drew you in? Was it the speed? 
or like what? I, I'm, I'm just curious because I come from the classical world, you know, and I've come to love metal. Like I find it really fun yeah. and impressive and energetic. And I'm just curious from other instrumental standpoints, like what is it about it that you like? What if someone called it energetic when you were in a metal band back in the day? Like, how would you feel about it? <laughs> if your mom's like, I really like your energetic music. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> I was saying what uh, what drew you to metal or what, what oh, do you oh, like metal, about metal yeah, yeah. In, in general? Uh, well, my uh, my dad and my stepdad and everybody I was friends with was really into metal. So it just kind of like, that's what everybody was listening to. Like uh, when I was really young, it was a lot of like Kiss and Aerosmith and stuff like that. And then once the 80s came around and bands like, you know, Quiet Riot and Twisted Sister and Motley Crue and all that came out. Uh, kind of took a turn for that. And then once Thrash came out, that was kind of more my Speed. bread and butter, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the, the glam, I, I stopped liking glam metal and I started hating glam metal. And, you know, what was glam metal? Because you, you said you, you know, like Motley Crue, because a lot of people consider that glam now and Quiet Riot is yeah, certainly considered no, well, glam it, now. It, but what was glam to- then <clears throat> when they turned stupid? Like when glam gone wrong? Well, it was, it was pretty much like Motley Crue and stuff like Motley Crue. If you look at the first couple of records, they're all dressed in like black leather. So they went from shitty to like shittier. Yes. So, uh, home sweet home smoking in the boys room. And when they started wearing like, you know, full spandex outfits, like, uh, Nikki six had like a spandex, like suit coat and stuff. And like all like (laughs) pink and white and, you know, like, I don't know. It just can't get behind it. No, no. And so then, is glam is glam just the aesthetic or is it actually like a musical style? It's it's a little of both. I mean, it's mostly the aesthetic. The music is kind of basically just kind of cheesy. Bubble, it's like bu- the bubblegum pop of the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. With, okay. with guitars, okay. you know. Yeah. 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 It's like, I mean. So not as heavy. Right. It's generally. it's kind of okay. like they took the musical style of like a journey or a, yeah. or even like a like a Aerosmith, but shittier. Kind of, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like Cinderella. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Cinderella is like literally if you took Aerosmith, like one part Aerosmith and one part total horse shit and just mixed it together <laughs> and then snorted it. I, That's I, what Cinderella is. I got to say, though, I, I really I kind of like Cinderella. No, I like Cinderella. <laughs> I'm not saying they're bad, but they're like if Aerosmith was one part yeah, horse no, they're, shit. They're totally. Yeah, Aerosmith's no, they're totally, way better than that. The glam it's stuff so, was always right. really weird to me because it was very, very. It was dudes trying to get like be manly, feminine like it was, yeah, a, it was this big like, contradiction because they were like, like I'm just trying to get feminine. chicks and putting on right. lipstick and wearing yeah, like blouses and but like that was manly to them how do you feel so about Steve Vai like passion warfare or whatever when he had like his nipples pierced <laughs> with all like the different piercings <laughs> and then he had like the like chains and Terry Bozio he had a chain to Terry Bozio's nose <laughs> I, I have to say my, my uh, story about Steve Vai is that I loved Steve Vai I thought he was awesome in David Lee Roth and I went out and I bought Flexible and I brought it home and I was just not into that at all. I, I, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, in retrospect, now I listen to it. I'm like, wow, it's really like cool stuff. But at the time I was just like, I don't know, the aliens talking and stuff with his guitar. And I actually took the tape and like pulled it out of it and like wrinkled it, like wound it back up. I was like, I don't know, man, it got eaten the first time I... I tried to play it. Wait, so they you, return it? You want? Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Okay. I returned it. <laughs> no, you gotta give some context because people don't even know. 
Dude, you can't break your CD and return it to media play. And be like, oh, I'm sorry, the CD came broken. So we need to explain to people that don't understand analog. What? Can you please give us an yeah, explanation? So, so, okay, for so people was, who weren't even alive for Radio exist. Shack. I forget these people it, exist. Yeah, it, it was for an actual. There. It was actual a cassette tape. You know, actual like magnetic tape. So, uh, you know, you could, if you brought it home and it got eaten the first time, sometimes they would be nice enough to, uh, you know, take it in a return. I don't know why they would do that. Cause it seems to me like you just had a shitty radio that ate the tape, <laughs> yeah. but it worked. And I, I got, I think, uh, Iron Maiden live after death instead. Oh, way better choice. Yeah. Yeah. It was much more enjoyable, much more metal. My first metal. Yeah, this- that was my first Maiden record. The Steve Vai record was not metal. I think that was my biggest problem. Cause I love Steve Vai and you know. I appreciate all his weirdness. Also, Steve, I was in Crossroads, which was another huge, huge reason why I wanted to play music in general was that movie in the Jack Buffalo Paganini. Scene. We're doing, pa- dude, we're doing yeah. Paganini. I know, chapter I know three, that actual. Which by the thing is, so that's what Steve Vai, everyone loves that. But what they don't realize is yeah. that that movie is an allegory for Paganini because Paganini in the 19th century played so fast on the violin. And if you listen to his 24 Caprices, which inspired Richie Blackmore, who then inspired Yngwie Malmsteen and all these neoclassical players, you'll, you, he actually, people believe he sold his soul to the devil because mm-hmm. he played so fast. So like they were saying like he was excommunicated from town, like because he really did play at such a like when you first see Jeff Loomis sweet pick, you're like, that's not possible because you saw Eddie Van Halen do the tapping. I remember the first time I heard the tapping. I was like, yeah, you can't even do that. But then I learned how to do it. I'm like, OK, that can be done. But like the sweet picking, I was like, holy shit. It's the, the same kind of thing for me, man. Yep. And here's the cat. <laughs> <laughs> Van Halen kind of invented glam, as a matter of fact, I feel like. They like they were kind of the they were kind of the archetypical band like as far as the fashion and stuff mm-hmm. like a lot of the stuff that glam bands ended up wearing was you don't think Paul Stanley would be upset by that comment? Yeah, I mean he's no because Gene were, Simmons found Van Halen and he'll tell you. No, no, I know we wouldn't have I Van Halen Van if not Halen. for Kiss. Yeah, no, I found Van Halen. That's right. Uh, I just didn't uh, think they so were that good at that point. Little known fact that I uh, discovered Van Halen. Did you not know that Eddie Van Halen would not be who he is without me? Because I'm Gene Simmons. <laughs> was that accurate? No, it's true. Yeah, it's true. No, it's actually, Gene Simmons produced the first Van Halen demos. Um, I think which became the last Van Halen record, um, and uh, pretty much uh, took credit for Van Halen because he's Gene Simmons, and why shouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. Why stop? Why stop there? <laughs> I mean, he tried to take credit for this, so <laughs> that was copy- clearly Dio's grandmother. Yeah. He tried to copyright it. Jeez, of course. <laughs> well, well, Paul, let me let me bring it back to you. How, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the bands that you were in? I mean, you mentioned you were in a lot of them, and obviously it developed your musicianship over time one way or another. So uh, can you kind of give us the Reader's Digest version of, you know, uh, some of the different projects you were involved in? Any interesting stories? Or what you've learned you along learned? the way? Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Any consistencies between all the bands? Like, you've been in, like, 49. I, sometimes you get tagged in a picture with Paul on Facebook, and you're like, you <laughs> see how many people, like, his his actual reach, and you're offended by how many people <laughs> Paul. Like, his reach is, like, if you shut off Paul, it would act, it, he's got way better social media than all of us, especially now since he has a ball bag for a cat. <laughs> and his amazing art like he, he has because there's a thousand you're tagged in all of his pictures of his band's family trees so what do they all have in common what is the thing paul give us the lowdown uh oh, i don't know the, the one thing well that's a loaded question maybe yeah. just maybe tell us about some of the bands i mean well you know is joel yelling it's the jews 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've been in, mostly I, I was in original bands for my whole musical career until the last like 10 or 12 years or so when I started playing covers, uh, you know, because I decided I wanted to make a dollar here or there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, sure. but, you know, it's, it's definitely, I mean, those are two totally different worlds too, as far as playing in an original band and playing in a cover band. It's like almost polar opposites as far as the respect and the the pay and like just everything involved in it i you know yeah original bands really like eat a shit sandwich for the most part in today's day and age sure you, know, like, you got all kinds of pay to play and you know you got to play at a show with 30 bands and you're on this side stage that's like you know down the block like you know behind a building and you know you're playing while three other bands are playing and it's, you know, you load in all your shit and you play like five songs and then you got to load out and go home because there's no room for your gear in the club because yeah. <laughs> there's 30 fucking bands. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a clusterfuck wow. these um, days, unfortunately. The other day um, I, I was talking to someone and uh, it came up where uh, there's like these very common um, and uh, shared experiences amongst all dudes and, and girls in local bands. And when one of them was getting, getting the, you know, the call the night before, Hey man, are you bringing your cab? Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> so I, actually I, I'm curious as someone who's had years of experience in, in the local band scene, what, what are, what are some of your favorite like cliches that you've run into? Oh uh, man, you know, uh, oh, I forgot my symbols. Of course, yeah. <laughs> it's always, you know, if I ever bring my kit, some of this bound to be somebody that forgot their symbols. <laughs> And you know, what am I going to do? Be like, oh, well, it's too bad. looks like you're playing without symbols. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Have a good set. <laughs> so I, you should keep just like a, a few smashed broken ones in, in like your back seat. Like, yeah, let me, honestly, up, let me set up the, the loners. <laughs> the last few times that I have backlined my kit, that's exactly what I fucking did. <laughs> <laughs> that's smart. Hey, tough shit, you know, bring your own fucking shit. I, uh, I, I put on a, a hall show back when hall shows were a thing. Um, yep. when I, when I was early on in, in, in my musical career, I was probably maybe 16 or 17 or something like that. So we rented out like a Knights of Columbus, put on a show. It was one of the first ones that I had done. And we had a band that was like a big local band and like, yep. so like they're, but they, they wanted to get on the show, but we already were pretty booked up. So I, I had them open and, but like opening at like nine, it was, it was a hall show in like early 2000s. So it was packed. Yep. Um, and so you know, we, I get the back line set up. I'm like coordinating with everything and, the, and the, everything's going great. Then their, uh, their guitarist comes in. He's like, Hey man, uh, our, our drummer's like stuck in traffic. So we're gonna have to go on a little bit later. Uh, and I, I remember Classic. like, yeah. And I remember <laughs> being prepared for that. Cause someone would warn me and I was like, Oh, I'm like, that sucks. Like hopefully if he gets here, you know, before your set time's over, you guys maybe get a song or two in. Yeah. And, uh, and a miracle, the dude showed up like five minutes later. It was crazy. Wow, that's incredible. Wow. That's crazy how that works. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic move. I think Starshet should try that. If you guys are like opening for like, you know, some crazy, like, you know, yeah, breaking like, Benjamin, just be like, guys, our uh, Adam's running late. So we're going to headline tonight. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I mean, it's. Do people really think that's supposed to work? That's interesting. I was like, oh, what was the that... point of that whole thing? Go on, can they we just talk like, about over your set? Can we just talk about, can we just talk about the people that book at, at clubs? Because I mean, look, I love a lot of clubs, but there's always this one promoter in every town and everyone knows it. Who's ever played in a band that just knows the guy that has the gear in the band. So like I was a guy that I, if you didn't know, I'm a gear whore. 
And, you know, Corey's another dude that, like, you can identify pretty quickly, like, has at least good quality gear in a car and doesn't have a drug <laughs> habit, at least to anyone's knowledge. So, like, these promoters take note of that. So, like, two days before a show, they'll be like, hey, man, so uh, we need uh, to, to cut down set times. We, uh, we need you to have, uh, ha- can they use your cabs? Yeah. And uh, can, fr- frankly, can they use your heads and can they yeah. fuck your girlfriends? Can they use we, your toothbrushes? Hey, we, we know you're going on at nine and the last band's on at one, but if you can set up your stuff and just leave it for us of the show, that'd well, be on, great. But the greatest, awesome. thing, the yeah. greatest <laughs> thing is that this one promoter in town would always, it, first off, he knew Paul. He knows Paul. And he knows? knows that Paul does not like to like <laughs> lend out his stuff. In fact, Paul didn't even hang out a lot of the times at shows, not because he doesn't like bands, because he doesn't like people in the outside world. He'd smoke in his own bus by by himself, like, stay the fuck away from me. But this one guy would always be like, hey, man, do you think Paul, like, because he knew his name, do you think Paul would mind lending his kit? Like, and he'd bring out like a (laughs) double Gretsch kit with like two kick drums or like a beautiful kit. Like, don't fuck with me, like Red Sparkle, like perfectly set up be like yo do you mind if he does that and i would be the guy that he that would have to ask him and if you know paul if you know paul paul is the inverse of normal human beings when he's angry he looks like he's having a great time so like what do you be like hey paul could could someone else use your drum set he starts to smile a little bit he's like yeah what do you mean and then he's like, yeah they're gonna use your symbols too he's like oh my symbols. How many symbols do they need? Actually, <laughs> this guy needs two full kick drums. What the fuck does he need two <laughs> kick drums for? Fuck this show. I'm not even coming. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I hate that. Everyone who's listening who's ever been in a band knows there's a promoter that knows if you have gear that you're the back line. And that's the only reason he's even going to put your band on at 915 without well, selling 643 tickets. Yeah, the catch-22 is that the only thing worse than letting some other asshole bash the shit out of your drums is having to play somebody else's <laughs> shitty bashed-on drums <laughs> and with their, like, band's logo on your front drum head. <laughs> and, like, you know, it's like, what the fuck, dude? And, yeah. you know, it's always garbage and, you know, has no tone. The kick drums just, like, sounds what like a paper of, bag. Paint a picture for people. Like, what, what kind of kid is this, first off? Uh, uh geez i don't know this is it like a ludwig rocker <laughs> but it's like it's been like rocked yeah <laughs> yeah you know just like the cheesiest shittiest thing you've ever seen with the oldest drum heads on the planet and you know broken cymbals and yeah. stands that don't go up or down and you can't adjust <laughs> them and a drum stool that's like two inches off the ground and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it did uh did a few gigs at one uh, uh place in 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 boston uh and uh, nicer place, but they had a mandatory backline for for amps. Yeah, like not even like not just cabs, like amps. Like couldn't even bring your own stuff. And I, really, I've never been a huge like gear snob, but like you know, I try to make whatever I play sound good. But yeah. uh, we we showed up and it was me. I there was two guitarists in the band, and so I grabbed like some. It was like you know we're like a rock band, and I think they gave me like like some sort of like Fender, very clean amp, and I'm like, yep. uh, I don't. Like, where's, you know, I'm right. I, so I like, I gained it up as much as I could. The other guitarist got an amp that, uh, it died. Oh, nice. <laughs> so Perfect. he just didn't play. Oh, <laughs> and it's like, it's not, it's like, if you're going to backline, <laughs> you show up, yeah, like, right? uh, you just, you're, you're down one guitarist tonight. Well, hold on. That's <laughs> why <laughs> when you've been beat down so much, you, you find your Corey because I saw just like everyone has seen in our videos that Corey has a big block 5150. 
Okay, and when I saw him play, Paul was there at the show with me. Paul was in the band with me. That's I true. probably went up to Paul and said, "Dude, that guy is pretty good at guitar." Yep. Fuck that dude. I hope that band dies. <laughs> like, first off. And then we probably played another show with them and I, no, they brought a lot of people. True. It was at, we, it was at uh, Copperfields. Yep. Oh, and then we played 90, another show with them. At, sure. Yeah, at, at the Hard Rock. And I was and, kind of annoyed because I think they actually brought more people than us. And I was like, fuck these guys. And BJ was beautiful. And Corey has these deep blue eyes. And I was just like, <laughs> but he was playing this beautiful 5150 through a 412 or whatever. And I was like, okay. Okay, noted. No, <laughs> well, he, so, he had a Gibson, so we knew he was serious. right. Right. <laughs> so then I like, went up to you, uh, you, and I was like, "Dude, their drummer Eric, like, he looks like he has halfway decent shit. Like, if we play with those guys again, like, we could totally tell Lionel, <laughs> bro. Like, listen, put them on right before us, and then just make them backline everything, and we'll just tell them, like, hey, listen, can we use it for our set? It's cool." And then I call Corey. Like I, like, a day I love how the show. in the discussion of like scummy things of like yeah. things that have happened to us, Ben's like, "Oh yeah, no, that's a great idea. Oh, I support that's, that." That's <laughs> exactly what I would always do. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I just because because it would be dropped on me. So I'm just like, you know, fuck it. Like pass if it's my buck. kid or your kid, it's right? gonna be your kid. I pass fuck, the buck. Fuck or be fucked. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's the name of our new record. <laughs> fuck or be fucked. <laughs> So Siobhan, what was, three, what was life like? Subscribe. <laughs> what was two zero two zero dash D? Oh my God, man! What was life like in your local band scene, Siobhan? I was just gonna say I'm gonna sound bougie as fuck saying this. Like, it, it was definitely in between a slow, cricket games. It was definitely a slow transition into understanding what bands like the band world is really like. You know, because I started in classical music, where it's yeah. like you show up in a beautiful theater in a beautiful city, you're showered dressing room, and it's like one minute overtime in rehearsal, you get paid extra money. It's like you know what I'm saying? Like it's like that. There's one level of that, and like no one would put on a concert unless it's like pristine and like really prepared. And then there's like, you know, I go to play shows in arenas, you know, where it's like you still get a dressing room and it's still very prepared. And then like, you know, you keep going down the levels and I'm like, uh, wow, I can't believe some scenes, you know, it's like uh, the stories you guys tell. I'll, I'll never forget the first time. Wild. I, the first time I got paid for a rehearsal, I was like, they gave me money. I was like, what? <laughs> are you, are you <laughs> shitting me? Right? I told all of you guys I knew when I made it. I knew when I made it was when I went to the House of Blues in Boston and I got paid $1,500. To DJ. To DJ. It does not count. No, 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 no. <laughs> to DJ the House of Blues in Boston. And, and they're like, do you want some of your, like, uh, your, uh, some food? And I'm like, what do you mean? And I, I'd been to the green room a million times at, at the House of Blues. Anyone that knows me that's ever been in a band that's been there knows that I go and like raid their shit at the House of Blues. <laughs> Um, but I went to the green room and this time my name was on the green room door. Yeah, I took a picture. Corporate gigs are sweet, man. We get it. And hold on. And, and I went inside. <laughs> the refrigerator was unlocked, which was unusual because I usually get there when it's locked. It was unlocked and I made myself chocolate milk and I was sitting there drinking my chocolate milk thinking to myself, this is heaven. Meanwhile, an actual musician was sitting at home broke. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's how shitty it is. That's that's the thing that I mean, kills me. I'll give you credit because at least you are an actual musician. But it's just, you know, it breaks my heart. No, no well, they had a band. They had a band at this corporate thing. And the bass player was there for 10 minutes with the House of Blues guy going, why can I hear anything? So I walked down. I'm waiting to do my fucking test. They have a whole fucking list. All I need to do is a line test. Check one, check two, bye. So I go down there and I realize for 15 minutes, these 
fucking idiots don't realize that the bass amp is on standby. So I just go boom and, and then I'm like, can I do my check? I'm like one, two, and I was the fuck out of there. And they're like, whoa, what was that? I'm like, that's called being a professional, not just being a musician. But the fact is, it could have been a band. I could have been that band. I wasn't that band. I was the DJ. And that's the truth. The fucking truth hurts. Being a DJ is like MTV. It's not music. It's not music. It's the challenge. What wow, that the? was an epic rant. No, but it's I, not to, <laughs> moving beyond that. No, but it is. You know, I I have so much respect for people that grew up in bands and had to like trail, you know, trailblaze <clears throat> their own way because like classical musicians, get, you have to work really hard on the front end side, like the school and all this stuff. And there are barriers to entry. But, you know, once you get into the professional world, you're pretty yeah. well taken care of and you don't realize it because you're in that world with other people. I'm trying to you picture. Know? I'm trying to picture Siobhan at like at like a Jared's place gig, which, which was which is this this club that doesn't exist anymore. But it was like a downstairs basement dingy club full of smoke and like you know the green room was like a closet behind the stage where there was probably someone like shooting up, yeah. <laughs> like Siobhan tuning her tuning her <laughs> violin and getting ready for performance. <laughs> no, but like the, I mean the venues, like what you have to do. To, I mean you have to write music, you have to record an album, you have to somehow find money to tour, you have to drive overnight and van like some of the stuff like even joining yeah. star set you know i as the string player got brought in once they had some money to spend on yeah. a string player you know and like as a violinist you're totally unaware of that because that's just it's a different world you know until you're in it should have right? played violin and, yeah, no <laughs> well you know I, each different area has its yeah. you know its difficulties but um but yeah i mean i think about all the work they had to do before that point you know like all the hustling and the crazy driving across the country you know even in local band, whatever, you got to lug your shit around. You got to set it up. You got people being yeah. rude to you. Like you don't get space. Like and, and at that point, too, you know, there, you know, there wasn't like the Internet to like research, like how to have a career in music. So you had to rely on the people around you, which are other bands, which right. are also not successful, probably. Right. So yes. you're looking at what's, what are they doing? Oh, they're yeah. selling a T-shirt with like a big dick on it. Oh, cool. Let's yeah. see if that works for us. You know, awesome. and then no, they're uh, driving yeah. all around town, putting uh, flyers up on windows yeah. and yeah, people that's are a... ripping them down five minutes later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds we, like a we good gotta, idea. We're going to do the same thing, but with better tape. That'll be yes. our marketing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I used to I used to drive through the drive throughs at like Burger King and stuff and slap my flyer on the drive through. Like we used to spend days just driving around town and taping up flyers and driving people crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like, that's what you did because what else were you going to do? Right. And that then was the only like, way to get the word be like out. the one band that like kind of makes it a little, like becomes a regional band outside of like yep. the local band. And it's just like, wow, dude, they're playing like four towns over. Like yep. they're, they're crushing it. They played a high school battle of the bands. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if anybody wants to watch something to explain to them what it was like to be alive in an band in the 80s, watch The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2. It not only goes over the flyer thing, it goes over the whole <laughs> dudes looking like chicks and trying to get laid thing. <laughs> and like the whole thing. It was such so a do weird you think time. That was like a Mel Brooks was like a Nostradamus. Um, was he like George Orwell, except of the 80s? So he was like in 1984, he was 1984's <laughs> George Orwell. Wait, who was Mel Brooks? <laughs> Mel Brooks was George Orwell. Was, wasn't he? Wasn't he History of the World? Right? No. Oh. Yeah, I never saw that one. 
But isn't that what you just I referenced? No, the decline of Western civilization. Oh my god, yeah. my wires got crossed, and I literally heard what I just wanted to. And this is like Paul and my entire relationship. Did you say? I think that's your relationship with the world. Like, what are you talking what? about, Ben? What? What? I was trying to make a joke, and I literally wasn't even talking about the same movie. That's all right. Oh Terrible. God. That's yeah, my no, whole it's a, life. It was a no documentary about metal. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. If you guys haven't seen it, check it's, it out. It's the yeah, it's the movie with uh, Chris Holmes, with Chris mm-hmm. Holmes, the infamous pool scene. It's not the rock and roll parking lot. No, I no, gotta that's watch this. That. I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't? Oh my god, no, no you uh-huh. should. You yeah, totally. Yeah, I think you should see it. That's actually required viewing for you, Siobhan, to appreciate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, everything no, you yeah. skip. Sure. Have you seen Spinal Tap, Siobhan? <laughs> oh, of course. That's I like was, okay. there was a time Jesus when I didn't know what Spinal Christ. Tap was, and I was like, yeah, I gotta watch this, or else I'm missing out. Well, on you know all what's great references. about Spinal Tap is that when I was, I think, in a metal band, signed at seventeen, touring, I watched that movie, and I'm like, I don't get it. Like, this isn't funny. <laughs> this is not funny at all. Like, Did it why? hit too close to home? No, it's not that it hit too close to home. I, like, literally was just like, okay. Like, it, like, I, like none of it seemed weird to me. And now, like, I watched it again. You know, like, I want to say a year ago, and I'm like, I'm so stupid for ever thinking that this is not the funniest thing ever made. Like, it just it's so many levels of funny. And the fact that it's such dry humor, it just shows how stupid I was. Like, literally, <laughs> that I was sniffing glue, and that my brain had not even closely, fully developed for me to destroy it smoking. And on that yeah. note... <laughs> You've been 2020. Call- Stick around for Paul later this week, and fuck you. Subscribe and go to lostsymphony.com and buy some things. Please. Oh, that band, lostsymphony.com. The feature Siobhan, the really nice one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 43 featuring Shanique Himmelman, the guitarist for Cirque du Soleil's Michael Jackson 1 in Las Vegas. Check it out. And I didn't want to just move for three months and then have to go back because I got like no visa. So that was basically right. Sign up for some school and then you get... Or 90 Day Fiance. K-1 yeah, visa. That well, that's the modern version. This is back in the day when people actually had to do something to come here. That's what my grandma always whispered. Like, Find a nice Jewish doctor. <laughs> he can take care of you. And then this guitar thing will be fine. <laughs> Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.